Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, welcome to the Translash Podcast, a show about news and culture from a trans perspective. I'm your host, Amara Jones. I am so excited to celebrate trans love for our special Valentine's Day episode. Cue music from harps and images of chocolate and Cupid. But before we talk about love, I wanted to remind you to please shout us out on social media or leave us a review. If you do, your message of love could easily end up in this program, like that of Tracy Wollen, who left us a message on Apple Podcasts saying, quote, I am not transgender, but I am a member of the LGBTQ plus community. I happened upon your podcast and I am in, wait for it, love. It is so important to hear the perspective from the trans community and we all need to listen. Keep up the amazing work and you have a brand new fan. Close quote. Thank you so much, Tracy. And maybe you'll be the Tracy of next time. So leave us a review or shout us out on social media. All right on to the heart of our show. Too often we're told that we're not beautiful, that we're unlovable, that we're less than, but that's not true. Trans love is sacred. We are incredibly worthy and uniquely beautiful. And that's why our entire program today is going to be focused on trans joy and trans love. First, we're going to hear from the one and only Precious Brady Davis, who appeared with her husband, Miles, in TLC's special, My Pregnant Husband. Part of that came to the relationship of like, I'm unlovable, but I carry like all of this baggage and Miles was just saying, no, like I love all of you. All of that comes with you and I'm here to work through that. And then we're going to talk about finding love online with Max Slack from the social and dating app, Her. If you're going to be trans inclusive, particularly you're on any platform, but particularly on a dating app, you need to be explicit to the point that it is incredibly obvious to everyone, not just trans people. Any single person who comes into that space needs to know that trans people are welcome. And whether you're alone or with a special someone this Valentine's Day, I want you to know that you're loved and cared for, that you are an important part of our community. And the thing I want most for you is to find the love and happiness that you want and that you define. As you know, we normally start off our program with trans joy. But that's our entire program today, centering love and joy. So now... It's on to my conversation with Precious Brady Davis. 
I'm over the moon to be talking to Precious Brady Davis today, kind of fangirling, actually. You may know her from the TLC reality series, My Pregnant Husband, which chronicles the journey of Precious and her husband, Miles Brady Davis, and the journey to become parents as a trans couple for the first time. It's a powerful display of trans love and a beautiful and much-needed representation of trans family. In addition to starring on My Pregnant Husband, which premiered last July, Precious is an award-winning social justice advocate, communications professional, and public speaker. She currently serves as the Associate Regional Communications Director at Sierra Club, and her advocacy work has been featured in Time Magazine, The New York Times, The Chicago Tribune, and Teen Vogue, among others. And later this year, Precious is coming out with her very first book, a memoir called I Have Always Been Me, which I'm personally very excited about. Precious, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And when your book comes out, I hope you'll come back on. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me and for that wonderful, warm introduction. I'm glad to be here today. And I'd love to come back when the book comes out to talk to you about my memoir. Perfect. So... I'm excited for this conversation because we as trans people, as trans women, as Black trans women, don't get to do what we are doing right now, which is to sit down and have a conversation about love. I love that. About the role of love in our lives and the possibilities that love creates. And so to that end... I'm wondering if you can take us into how you and Miles first met. How did this romantic relationship come to be at the beginning? I think that uh, origin stories for love are really important, and we don't get to tell our origin stories as much as others do. So I'm curious if you can tell us about yours. Yeah, but before I I jump into that, I just want to just kind of step back and say that I really appreciate you inviting me to be a part of this conversation on your podcast. I know you talked about like the importance of talking about trans love stories, but I also think it's important that particularly trans women of color, that we sit down and have conversations with one another and talk about our experiences and talk about our similarities and talk about our our differences and, and building up the sisterhood. I think we often in passing, you know, we talk about what sisterhood is, but I think this is what that sisterhood in action looks like. And so I just want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. A sisterhood, of course, is another type of love, right? And so we recognize the fact that love isn't only about romance. It's about all these other ways in which we build connection and honor each other. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, I completely agree. And in terms of Miles and I, so... About, it was about 10 years ago, I was leaving my job. I worked at the Center on Halstead in Chicago, which is an LGBT community center. And I worked in the youth program and I coordinated youth outreach and did youth engagement. And Miles lived on the south side of Chicago and he was looking to get involved, particularly in work with trans youth. And the executive director of that organization, gave him a list of folks who he should reach out to. And I was on that list. And while I worked at the center, there was a knock that came on the door. 
<laughs> and one of my coworkers comes up to me, they're like, there's someone at the door for you. And it was, I was like, who is it? And this guy comes in and he's talking to me about wanting to work with trans youth. And in my head, I'm kind of like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And because I thought that he was just another person who was looking to do a research study, I was very protective over my young people because there were a plethora of people who would come to the center and say, I want to get involved. So I kind of looked at him, kind of nodded and like, didn't ever think there would ever become anything of it. Towards the end of the conversation, he said, I'm trans. And I was like, what? Like, (laughs) I didn't say that in my head. I was just kind of like shocked just because he, you know, had cis passing privilege just to start with. And so that kind of like opened the door for me. I was like, oh, he's trans. And the way Miles tells this story, Miles says that I had a shocked look on my face. (laughs) I was like, I did not. Like, I know the way that I carry myself. But after that, he, he left and he started like telling people, he's like, you have to get me a date with Precious. Mm. Uh, you, you like, I want to go on a date like with Precious, you know, cause he was really good friends with Angelica Ross. So I started hearing through the grapevine at trans community events, you know, from Angelica, Angelica Ross, Jen Richards, cause they were roommates at the time until I would go over there and hang out every now and then I had an an ethical standard. Like it didn't matter to me that he was from another community organization. I had met him at my job and I felt like that that was like an ethical line for me. And so I would start seeing him everywhere and he would pop up everywhere. I mean, Laverne Cox would come to town and he would be there and he'd be like, yo, precious, what's up? (laughs) It was just like, no. And so finally, somehow he like got my number and he like texted me and I sent him this long screed message like one night as I was laying in bed. I'm like, I am a woman of victory. I am a woman of excellence. I am dedicated to my job. The young people are my life. I don't have the time to date. And so after that, he was so persistent. He kept being very persistent. And so one night I was leaving work. I was at the top of the stairs. It was a Friday night. And, you know, program had ended and it was probably about seven o'clock at night. And I looked down at the bottom of the stairs and he's standing there. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) So he says, let me take you to dinner. And I thought, okay, the least I can do is let him take me to dinner. And there's this place called Diva Sushi and it was a sushi place. And we had dinner and I noticed he was eating very peckishly as I was like ordering sushi. I later found out after that he's allergic to fish. So poor guy, like our first date, we like went to like a seafood restaurant and he couldn't even eat. It was shortly after that he had gotten word that I was going to the Philly Trans Conference. And as I was getting on my flight to Philadelphia, I was checking my email and I looked down and in the subject line of the email, it said, I can't wait to see you in Philly. And that was all that was in the email. And I thought to myself, oh, (laughs) it's like, okay, he came to me on my turf. (laughs) And I, I, it it took me aback like a moment, but it was like sweet. I thought, okay, this is super sweet. And when we got to Philly, I saw him and he was like very cordial, uh, but very flirtatious. 
Um, and Janet Mock was the keynote speaker that year. Uh, and Janet Mock and I had lunch and he had already got to Janet and put the plug. He's like, you have to put like a good word. And I was like, let me think about it. But then that night we were all sitting just, it was a martini bar. It was like myself and Janet Mock and Gina Rossero. We were having a good time. I probably was like two to three martinis in deep. And Miles and I were texting each other. And he's like, I'm going to come by with some boys. I'm like, okay, like whatever. And he sits down next to me and he looks at me and he says, I just want you to know that you're the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen in my life. And I want to take care of you the rest of your life. (laughs) And I was like, there was nothing I could say. Like, I just, (laughs) like, melted. And he he looked me in my eyes. And I just kind of, like, right there, he, Mm. you know, with his love, just Mm. stripped away, like, the the artifice, you know, like, the the protective shell that I had placed upon myself and that I was carrying from so many years of trauma in my life. And after that weekend, we left Philly a couple and I've been together ever since. Wow. Wow. I mean, when he, it's it's so funny. <laughs> I initially thought when you said he was like, you're the most beautiful woman in the world and I just want to take care of you for the rest of your life. I was kind of like a, a, a line went off in my mind. I was like, okay, in scene. Like if I was a director, I'd be like, cut, that's, that's it. <laughs> I think that your story brings up a really important question and point that I'd love to hear your inner thoughts about, which is before you met him, did you feel worthy of love? Because you mentioned that trauma had played a role in the early resistance. And so that springs to mind that question for me. Yeah, it was, it was hard for me because, and I talk about this in my book, I've always been me coming up this summer, July, 2021. I had been in, as we now know, uh, a couple entanglements, as one might say. But I think that uh, you can hear Zane's giving a shout out in in the back. I mean, she's ruling, um, so yeah. <laughs> shout out from shout out from Zane. I dealt with my own self loathing of am I worthy of love? Am I beautiful? Hmm. And I really had to unpack so much of that because at that time I had a myriad of emotional relationships, but I didn't have men who were willing to, most of them, to be in a relationship holistically with me. And so, yeah, it was hard for me to envision what holistic love will look like in terms of mind, body, and soul. I mean, each relationship that I had, there would be one of those pieces. they, They weren't all there. But Miles completed all of those pieces. How did you get over the fear of being loved in that way by him? Over time, you know, it was the the building blocks of our relationship. And unbeknownst to me, even to myself, the idea of two trans folks loving each other. Like, 
at the beginning, that was even hard for me to like wrap my head around. I was like, how does that work? <laughs> even to like my, myself, I said, how does, how does that work? I, you know, had my own misconceptions around that. And uh, Janet Mock and I did have a conversation about it. And she said, I think it's important that we look at other trans folks the same way we ask the world to see us. And that was revelatory to me. And I was like, wow, lay down like these misconceptions and, you know, this internalized oppression. And I think we all have to look at, you know, the internalized ways in which we take on the stereotypical ideals the world places on us. But in the beginning of our relationship, I feel I was laying down walls one by one. And I think that that was a divine experience and encounter that Miles brought to my life and that we brought for each other. And I feel that that is what relationship is. You know, it, it is a sacrifice. It is the way that two people come together constantly and how you remove layers of yourself to become one. And I came to the relationship extremely fractured just because I, I had a, a very hard childhood, a very traumatic childhood. And part of that came to the relationship of like, I'm unlovable, that I carry like all of this baggage. And Miles was just saying, no, like I love all of you. All of that comes with you. And I'm here to, to work through that with you. Mm. My pregnant husband, of course, journeys through kind of the the last phases of pregnancy and that journey into now parenthood for you both, fatherhood for him, motherhood for you. And I'm wondering what role did love play in your decision to have Zane? Everything. Having a, a child is the summation of our love. And it was at the cornerstone of the very beginning of our relationship. Miles said to me, I want to have a child and I want them to have your face. And it was one of the most beautiful things anyone has ever said to me. So from the beginning of our relationship, we knew that we wanted to have a family and we were definitely on the, on the same page of that. And so bringing a child into the world and bringing Zane here was definitely a labor of love. It was a labor of sacrifice. You know, both of us had gone off hormones and that does an emotional number on anyone, you know, because for some trans folks, that is, you know, the, the stability and it creates, you know, the balance and it is the affirmation. And so to leave that, to be able to be able to physically bring life into the world, that was, you know, our sacrifice, that was our act of love so that we could grow our family and see an iteration of us in the world and a manifestation of our love. And now that she is here, um, 14 months, bold as brass, has been making her presence known throughout our interview, even though she's not formally being interviewed. She's at the microphone, as it were. The diva. Uh, yes. Good luck with that in about 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please, good luck now. She is the queen 
of this roost and and I love every minute of it. And she looks just like me. <laughs> Miles often says to me, he's like, she looks nothing like me. She got all of you. I mean Well, listen, first of all, that's his fault. He spoke that into the world, right? He said right. I want the child to have your faith. <laughs> so when that happened, he only has one person to hold responsible for. Say that. Own your words, sir. Um, Say that. <laughs> but I'm wondering what since she's been here, since she's been on this planet, what has Zane the diva, the 14-month-year-old diva, taught you about love? Oh, I mean, being a parent is love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that I haven't always known in my own biological family. So yeah, I would say uh, the extent of what unconditional love looked like. In addition to all of the care things that a parent's mind naturally gravitates towards. One of the things that I've heard you say is that for you, I'm paraphrasing here, but that one of the things that you realize is that motherhood is sacred and that being her parent is a part of that sacred responsibility. And so I'm wondering emotionally what she has taught you about love that you either didn't know before or you're feeling in a different way. And fundamentally, you being a person who is capable, worthy, full of, possible to accept love, right? I think since she's been here, I've learned the importance of living in in the moment and to be present, you know, with her. And yeah, I think I, I try to live... Uh, each moment and be present in it. And I, I'm not into to choreographing moments. And <laughs> when I when I straighten up her area, I'll straighten up all of her toys and I'll put everything in place. And just as soon as I put everything in place, she like runs through and, <laughs> and pulls out everything that I have put in its place. And it's just as a reminder that life is not just a pretty bow. That's not how she wants it. <laughs> that she wants them where she wants them to be. It's, you know, being sensitive to her feelings. I think there there's something about uh, being less selfish as a, a, a person. I was the girl who I'd be in the salon every other week. You know, I'd get my nails done, full face of makeup. That's not possible. And she doesn't care like what I look like. She knows that I'm her mom. And that has been super soul affirming for me. Zane doesn't, you know, understand what my dysphoria is. I'm her mom. Wow. That's a gift. Lastly, there'll be a time when when none of us are here and Zane will be will still be here. And I'm wondering, Zane, if she chooses to have a family. And she's telling her kids and grandkids about the love of her parents. What do you hope that she remembers and, and communicates to them? I want her to know that love is unconditional and that we will always love her through the eons of time. In the beginning of my book, I say to Zane that the blessing is yours to inherit. And I really mean that. Of all I have is hers. And, and Miles feels th- the same way. And for any other children 
that we have. Um, whatever we have is theirs. And so may it be prosperous, may it be healthy, and may it be blessed. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey into love and to family. I think that it is a story that we don't tell and that we don't talk about. I have appreciated your openness and your honesty and the trust that you have shown throughout our conversation and our new connection and our sisterhood. And I'm just so grateful for the bravery that you have displayed throughout your life. And I'm not talking about necessarily the bravery to manifest yourself. I'm talking about the bravery you have shown in your journey into love. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and for all the beauty that you represent and that you put out in the world. I think it is the glory of our ancestors. And thank you for continuing the work. As I always say, the work continues. It never ends. That was Precious Brady Davis, a social justice advocate and communications professional who starred on the TLC series, My Pregnant Husband with her husband, Miles. She is also the proud mother of Zane. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, continuing our special episode about trans love, we're going to talk a little bit about finding love online. Yeah, it can be a lot. For this conversation, I'm excited to chat with Max Slack, their head of global partnerships for the dating and social app Her. And they are also passionate about brands and organizations who look to better serve, support, and empower trans communities. Max, I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. It's so rare that we actually get to go inside the realm of dating apps. They seem to be so hard to figure out and impersonal in a way in terms of people who work there. So to (laughs) actually be talking to a real life person that works at a dating app is a treat, really. It's, um, (laughs) It's something that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. People never believe me. When I tell them. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the interesting things about dating platforms for trans people or rather trans experiences on dating platforms is that they can be very isolating, marginalizing, strange. I could take up the rest of our time with various tales of woe, personal woe, um, that I've experienced on various dating apps as a trans person. And one of the unique things about her is that It started out as a 
platform for lesbians and people who identified as women, I think probably primarily cis women, Mm -hmm. but has grown to be very explicitly queer and trans inclusive Mm -hmm. for all gender identities. And I'm wondering why. And it may seem strange that I'm asking why, but that's not a common choice amongst dating platforms. I think it's... um... I think, I mean, the first point I want to address is that, no, it's not a common choice among dating platforms. And I think that's really sad. I think that there is a wonderful amount of joy and flexibility and openness. And, you know, you're talking about stories of trans love. You've you've already covered some of this, I'm sure. But I think that the stories that you can have And the experiences and the people that you can invite into a space when you open up to trans people are second to none and also incredibly unusual and things that you cannot find in really anywhere else. So yeah, I I think that it is a common choice not to, but I think it's really a shame. I was actually listening to our CEO, Robin, talk about the decision to be trans inclusive. And it's interesting because I think from an external PR perspective, it's like, oh, you you weren't trans-inclusive and now you are. And her argument is, no, we were always trans-inclusive. We just weren't explicit about it. And I think that there was a realisation, um, and I, I hope she won't mind me saying this, for her as a, a cis woman, that if you're going to be trans-inclusive, particularly you know, on any platform, but particularly on a dating app, you need to be explicit to the point that it is incredibly obvious to everyone, not just trans people, any single person who comes into that space needs to know that trans people are welcome and that any offence or any lack of acceptance towards them from any background or gender identity or ideology will not be accepted. It became very clear that we needed to be explicit about that and that comes through in everything in the app you know it's externally it's in our community guidelines it's in the way that we build the way that we talk to our users the way that our users are educated about other people they might meet the way that you build a platform and all of the identity and sexuality options that you're given when you do that and when you build your profile and I also exist as a trans person within the company and I speak at length to anyone who will listen about how lucky I am to have the experience that I have of coming out in a company that is not only supportive but celebrates my trans identity and has made me feel incredibly valid. What do you think her gets from being a trans-inclusive dating space and what have you heard from members who've had positive experiences because you are trans-inclusive and That would be people of all gender identities. The people reporting people because they think that they don't belong on the platform because they're trans aside. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that there's also a parallel, really positive story. So what do you think you guys are able to provide that others don't? I think as a, a platform, what we get from it is embodying a very modern, inclusive LGBTQ plus community. You know, my role a lot of the time involves speaking to advertisers and I make a very specific point of saying we are not grinder for lesbians. We are an LGBTQ plus dating social community app. So I think for us, we're representing the 
I guess, what I would call the best of the LGBTQ community that is inclusive and is looking out for each other and creating a space that is for all of us rather than being divisional. I know for me, on a personal level, one of the things that I was really scared of being openly trans and starting to transition was that I was going to lose my ability to access the parts of the queer community that I am involved in. I haven't, and I've actually been able to unlock more. I know we have stories of people who have come onto the app and found for the first time that they can talk to people in just a very relaxed, and it's not a word I love to use, but in a very normal way, that, you know, there's a space where being trans is celebrated, but there's also a joy in a space where being trans is just, I'm trans, great, okay, that doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. You can just do what you came to the app to do, which is to meet people and have a romantic relationship, to meet friends, to look at content, to share interests. You don't have to constantly be thinking about how people are processing you. And I think that that's something that I really appreciate as a trans person because I feel like I spend maybe 45% of my time you know actively pushing away negative energy and another 45% of my time like very lap being very loudly trans and talking about it all the time and then there's just a 10% where I just get to do something super normal and I don't have to think about being trans at all and I, I don't know if you you kind of relate to it but it's it's a moment where I'm like, huh, this this is how it would feel to be cis. And I think that taking that pressure away from someone in a dating app environment is really, really important. Yeah, I think that that's, that's absolutely right. I think for me on these apps, you know, I've had the full gamut of experiences that you reference personally in terms of being reported because you know, I'm on an app that is not explicitly for trans people and then people swipe right and then read my profile and then report me. So I've been bounced off of um, a couple of apps several times. One of them, I'll just name them Tinder. In addition to that is the fact that people on other apps not understanding what trans is or, you know, ghosting me afterwards or, you know, kind of the full range of, of experiences that you can have on, on these apps I've had. And you as a trans person, similarly as well, seemingly so. And so I'm wondering what, from your personal experience, you're hoping that her isn't replicating. That is to say, how does your own experience as a trans and queer person in the realm of dating apps impact what you're hoping that her isn't replicating? So I think what initially pops into my head here is a phrase that I use a lot, which is to offer respect before understanding. And I think that it can be incredibly powerful when you talk about the trans experience, because you can you can argue until you're blue in the face, like, oh, Google exists and you should educate yourself and you should know these things and you shouldn't ask me to educate you. But what it comes down to is that people don't know about trans people. We are not understood by a huge percentage of society. So I think my hope is that we can create a platform where if somebody doesn't understand, and that can be 
completely understanding the trans experience or just like not understanding they them pronouns or anything in between what i hope is that we can create a space where if somebody is in that situation they offer respect so they are curious without being offensive they ask permission before they ask questions they think about how it might feel to receive questions about your body or your gender identity they are offered resources where they can go and learn about how to speak to trans people, how to interact with them. Something that we've done across the course of the last year is run over 400 virtual events in 2020. And a large proportion of them were activism-based and a large proportion of them were trans activism-based. And, you know, we had audiences of a couple hundred people on Zoom And, you know, all of those people were not trans, but they were listening to a group of trans people talking about coming out, talking about transitioning, talking about gender identity, talking about all the issues that face us as trans people in the time that we exist in. And what that is doing is educating people and allowing them to learn from trans people in a safe space. And I find it very, very hard when there's a a kind of narrative, particularly on like the internet and Instagram at the moment, that's very combative and people saying like you know don't come at me if you don't know anything about me and you don't know anything about trans people and you should educate yourself and I absolutely stand by people should educate themselves but I also think we probably have to help them a little bit and we have to be open to realizing that people are not yet at the point where they can just go and learn about something we have to be out there speaking doing things like this being visible so that people can learn about us and that's not always the most comfortable being a visible trans person is not always comfortable you're going to get questions you're going to get comments but my view unless I'm feeling particularly angry that day is I would rather it comes to me than someone else so if someone's going to say something offensive to me whether it's intentional or not I would rather school them on it and make sure that the next time they come across a trans person in their day-to-day life they are polite and respectful. So that was a very roundabout way of saying that what I hope is that we can provide a space where trans people are more and more respected, where they feel that their voices are equally heard and where they feel that people who are in her as a space are actively trying to learn about them, have resource to learn about them and do not see them as any less than because they're trans. Yeah, it's interesting because what you're pointing to is that it has to be intentional that because of the state of the world, we can't expect people who are cis to encounter trans people on a dating app and understand how to behave, essentially, or how to <laughs> how to respond in a way that is affirming and not offensive. And that a part of what you have to do is actually to engage and teach your audiences in a conversation about the type of space that you're creating, who is there, and the way in which to interact with people who are different. And I think that that is totally a different way of approaching these apps which largely see themselves as transactional, right? Mm -hmm. That you're coming, you swipe left or swipe right. There's the connection and that's the value proposition. And then they move on. They don't have any other thing but to kind of present the table to you. And what you're saying is that, no, we have to present the table, create the room, shape the conversation so that we can create a space that works for everybody. And I I think it's so true. I hadn't thought about it like that before. I just think that it's not enough to be 
gently trans inclusive. I think you have to be explicitly and loudly trans inclusive in everything that you do. And that doesn't just sit inside dating apps, but for the purpose of this conversation in what we do, you know, I I had a, a feedback session with my CEO and I was like, we're doing great on the trans stuff. Let's do more, more of it. I want to see more of it all the time. And I work with brands predominantly. Um, that's the main part of my job at her is uh, working with our advertisers. And I can see how much difference it makes when a brand comes to me and they are not just like, oh, we want to do like an LGBTQ campaign and his two like cis white gay guys. Like, okay, great, but let's actually do something about trans people and let's do some educating rather than some just token celebrating. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, you know, in this world, advertisers are really essential. It's an understatement. And so the fact that you're seeing interest from advertisers underscores the importance of what you're doing and why the app needs to continue down the road that it is. I'm wondering if there is an anecdote inside the company or that you heard of or that you've come across yourself of a couple that is either totally trans, so it's two trans people or is assistant a trans person that have come together on your app. Are there any stories that you have that kind of underscore what happens um, on a personal level when things are going right in the space like her, on a platform like her? So our incredible head of community, Melody, is responsible for a US movie night that we run every week. We've been running it every week since the beginning of COVID, which feels forever ago now. And I know that several relationships have come out of it. But on a recent meeting, she was telling us about a couple who one of them has just come out as trans. And the reason that they have been able to do that is because of that group of people. So because of that community space that was created initially by us as a platform, um, they have been able to come out to change their name, to change their pronouns. They were in a safe community where they felt that they could come out. They are living authentically and are now in a relationship which reflects that. And you know, on a personal level, as someone who has had relationships prior to coming out as Max, I can understand how different those relationships are, how much more authentic, how much more relaxed, how much more engaged I can be when I am being exactly myself in a relationship. And I think it sounds to me from the brief anecdote that I heard that that person has found the same thing. Wow. The ability to live authentically. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time today. I think this underscores why we have to have trans people in leadership everywhere because it clearly makes a difference and can make places and spaces better for everyone. And I just want to extend my appreciation to you for doing that and to her for doing that because I think it makes a difference. Now, personally, you don't need the app because you already have someone. So, <laughs> But for all of us who are not as lucky as you are, 
I want to thank you for helping to create a space where both community and romance are possible. Thank you. Thank you for doing the same thing. I think being a trans person in leadership, there needs to be more of us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was Max Slack, Head of Global Partnerships for the dating and social app, Her. Thank you for joining me on the Translash podcast. Now, listen all the way through to the end of the show for something extra. I'm Amara Jones. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. You can listen to Translash wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on the web at translash.org to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Translash Media. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. Translash Podcast is produced by Translash Media by Futuro Studios. The Translash team includes Ruby Flozinski, Oliver Ash Klein, Montana Thomas, Tyler Wilson, and Yannick Ike Mirko. And our intern is Marana Munzenberg. The Futuro Studios team includes Nicole Rothwell, Jess Alvarenga, Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, Leah Shaw, Alishiba Itub, Rosanna Caban, and Gabriela Baez. Our digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of ZZK Records. All right, Translash fam, what am I looking forward to? Next week. Well, first of all, there's President's Day, and like to have a President's Day where I'm actually not embarrassed um, is going to be a relief. Although I agree with everyone that we should do away with President's Day and transfer it over to Election Day and make Election Day a holiday. Duh. Um, but that would be too much like right. Um, speaking of President's Day, um, and hang in there with me because this is not a trans-related book, but I just finished this weighty tome, this 1,000-page book, and it took me a year to read it. I kept wondering why in the world I wasn't finishing the book last year, y'all. And then I was like, wait a minute, I've actually read three books, so I'm okay. But it is a deep dive into the presidency of Grant. And that may seem boring, and I know all of you have already turned me off already, but for those who are still listening, what's amazing about it is, one, just to learn about someone's genius that you didn't know about, and he did have a genius. The second thing is to learn about someone's decency. Um, He was incredibly a decent person um, and always saw people as equal, like he never saw a difference between Black and white people, and that's just the way that he was born, and there's no reason why that should have happened in the mid-19th century, but people can be decent at any time. And I think that that was a really important thing. And thirdly, so much of the two terms of the Grant administration, the unfinished business around Reconstruction and around racial reconciliation in this country, is really the unfinished business of the Grant administration. We are living the unfinished business of his time as president. He saw it that way. He saw the quest for racial justice as the defining moment for him, as the thing that would redeem the Civil War. And um, in his dying breath, among his lasting regrets was that America never fulfilled its promise on that. And I think it's worth a read, but maybe just skip to the middle of the book so you won't have to read three books in one all year. And that's what I got.